Om Shri Sai Ram, Sai Ram everyone. We will start the session with a few prayers. Um, I will be saying the prayer. I think all of you may be familiar with the prayer, but in any case, what I would like to do is I'm going to repeat uh, line by line and I would like you to follow along, okay? I will leave some space for you to follow. Um, we'll start with three Om Karams. We will be chanting the shloka for Ganesha, uh, praying that no difficulty comes and stops us in this journey of learning. And then we will pray to Mother Saraswati, who is uh, the Lord of, the goddess of all learning. And then we will chant a prayer called Sahana Bhavatu, which traditionally uh, the Vedic uh, teachers and students have chanted together. And I will go over the meanings of them uh, in brief, and then we'll continue with the class, Saira. I have muted all of you. Um, I will uh, unmute uh, you all when uh, uh, the question, Q and A session starts, which will be at 10 o'clock. Um, until then, if you have to say something, please raise your hand and then I will, uh, we can talk. But I would rather, uh, do the one hour talk and then go to the questions. Thank you very much, Saira. Vakratunda Mahakaya Surya Koti Tamarabha Nirvignam Kurume Deva Sarvakayeshu Sarvada Saraswati Namastubhyam Varade Kamarupini Vidyarambham Karishyam Siddhir Bhavatumi Sada Sahana Vavatu Sahana Bhunaktu Sahabiryam Karavavahai
ತೇಜಸ್ವಿನಾಧೀತಮಸ್ತು ಮಾ ವಿಷಾವಹೈ ಶಾಂತಿ 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 ಐ ವಿಲ್ ಗೋ ಟು ದ ಫಸ್ಟ್ ಪ್ರೇಯರ್ ವಿಚ್ ಈಸ್ ಚಾಂಟರ್ ವಿಚ್ ಇಸ್ ವಕ್ರತುಂಡ ಮಹಾಕಾಯ ವಿಚ್ ಇಟ್ಸ್ ಅ ಡಿಸ್ಕ್ರಿಪ್ಷನ್ ಆಫ್ ಲಾರ್ಡ್ ಗಣೇಶ ವಕ್ರತುಂಡ ಹೂ ಹ್ಯಾಸ್ ಅ ಕರ್ವ್ಡ್ ಟ್ರಂಕ್ Mahakaya, whose body is enormous, huge, big. Surya Koti means a million suns, so you can say 10 million suns. Koti is crore in, in English, but it's not, it's not used very much outside of India. Samaprabha, whose effulgence is equal to that of a crore of suns. Nirvignam means... Uh, vigna means any obstacle nirvigna means obstacle lessness kuru means do may deva my lord oh my lord make sure that there are no obstacles in my path sarva karyeshu sarvada sarva karyeshu means every action karya means action sarva means all in all the actions sarvada always so it's a prayer to ganesha lord ganesha who we pray to before we start any endeavor so that there are no obstacles in our path saraswati namastubhyam saraswati is the mother of oh, goddess saraswati one who resides by the banks of a river or waters or lake saras means any water body namastubhyam means to you to byam to you namaha i am bow down varade one who grants all wishes kama rupini he also is the anything which we desire she becomes that she grants that also vidyarambham vidyarambham means we are starting a learning process karishyami i am starting karishyami siddhir bhavatu siddhir means accomplishment completion or attainment bhavatu me sada let there be always let me accomplish my goals of starting this journey of learning saira so sahana bhavatu i think all of you may know it has a shanti mantra um it's as popularly called or known um it is a prayer which um a person who instructs teacher and the students chant together the prayer basically says let's let protect us together let the togetherness of this class be protected saha na bhavatu it's now avatu avatu means protects saha now please protect us all together both of us all of us saha now bhunaktu please nourish us you know please give us the energy and the strength or the ability to study bhunaktu sahaviryam karavavahai let let us be full of energy viryam means energy strength uh, 
great ability. Please make us uh, have that ability to study. Tejas Vinau means let us become effulgent ourselves, Adhitamastu. Let us you know, expand, let our energy of knowledge or the um, effulgence of knowledge, the brightness of knowledge, let it expand. Let there be no enmity or any negative emotions between us. So from this, you can see in the path of learning, in any lesson, everyone is learning. You know, I, though I have sort of taken on the role of sharing what I have learned before, it is a journey for me as well, because this will improve my own knowledge, my own understanding. And that is the main reason I have taken this upon. Um, so we are all students, including myself. I hope you understand that and uh, uh, we will proceed. Thank you very much. So I would like to share a few uh, things. You know, yeah, you all have signed up, um, about 60 of us uh, have signed up when this was announced. So I, first I should tell you know, whether I have any qualification to uh, share my knowledge. And what are the limitations in my knowledge also, you see? Um, uh, it so happened um, with Swami's blessings, I got to start learning Sanskrit in the year 1970. Um, after I started learning Tamil, which is my mother tongue, the second language which I learned was Sanskrit. It was because uh, my father who listened to some of Swami's discourses felt that all of us, uh, his children should learn Sanskrit because Swami wants it. So um, he found a place in the Ramakrishna mission. Uh, they were conducting Sanskrit classes and we were enrolled uh, six or seven years of my age. Um, so from then I have been learning Sanskrit and I have taken a liking to it. So I had learned from 1969 uh, in the Ramakrishna mission and then our Balavikas uh, and Sri Lanka uh, also introduced Sanskrit as a subject during the Balavikas program because it was something which Swami has taught. So I happened to have the opportunity of learning Sanskrit till 1979 in Sri Lanka, 1679. And thereafter, um, when I joined Puttaparthi as a student, I chose Sanskrit as a subject. So I did uh, study it in plus two, and then I continued it in degree as well. Um, I could have continued pursued it as a master's degree, um, but it, uh, Swami had not uh, suggested that or told me that because of that I did not continue, because, though I was interested in it. Um, so that was my knowledge of learning Sanskrit. And um, after that, I have been in touch with Sanskrit. Uh, however, uh, not to the extent uh, I would love to. Uh, um, the opportunities of learning did not show up. So um, I would say it sort of reached a dead end of sort, not dead end, it did not improve. Uh, but I have done some self-study over the period, over, over, those, over the past few decades. But uh, I wouldn't say I am very knowledgeable in Sanskrit. I have basic knowledge only. So I have decided to share it because I thought, uh, because there were a few uh, devotees who have asked me, you know, can't you share? So initially I was very hesitant. About three years ago, we started at our center, Scarborough Center. A few devotees had signed up and we shared. And the material was sitting around and again, the question request came. So that's how we have started. 
Um, so you should understand, sir, language is an ocean. Just like English, you know, we all uh, know, can speak and understand English to some extent, but our knowledge of English is also limited to a great extent. You know, there may be words which we don't know, there may be grammatical aspects and usage we don't know. So it's, it's an ocean. There is so much, there's so much literature, you know, none of us have studied. So it's the same thing. So I am hoping that this uh, session, these sessions will help me improve and uh, uh, refine my own knowledge of Sanskrit. I hope uh, you uh, pardon me for any mistakes in what I am teaching. And if you want to pursue anything higher or um, more advanced or deeper, I can provide you some resources and you can continue. Um, okay, with those words, uh, let's start the lesson. I thought it's very important that uh, we also know why we are joined and why we should, because as I mentioned, um, Swami is very, very particular and encouraged a lot. So I thought I will just share a few quotations because these sessions are going to be um, of Sanskrit lessons, all about how, what Swami has talked about the language and any of the verses and um, verses Swami has uh, 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 recited during his discourses or any of the shlokas which Swami has embedded in the writings and any of the Sanskrit words which Swami has used. Um, these are all which we will explore because the whole purpose of uh, learning Sanskrit is to uh, enhance our understanding of what Swami has been teaching us, okay? Uh, so in 1968, uh, 18th of May, as you can see, uh, during the First World Conference, uh, Swami spoke a lot about Sanskrit. I don't know whether many of you know, the first discourse, the inaugural discourse of Swami uh, delivered during the First World Conference for the first few minutes was in Sanskrit. He says, um, this occasion demands that Swami speak in Sanskrit, um, at least start the discourse by Sanskrit. And he speaks a few sentences in Sanskrit uh, so that uh, Sanskrit is given the rightful place um, as the Sri Satisai organization is growing, expanding around, around the world. And in the discourse on the 18th, he says, it is one of the basic requirements for every Sai center to learn or provide facilities to learn Sanskrit by elders and children. So these were his words. Um, this was at the World Conference. So you should understand that it applies to the entire universe, entire world. So I thought I would just recollect that because Swami says all the Shastras are in of Sanatana Dharma, which is what Swami came to renew and teach the eternal universal religion, if you want to call it, um, it's all in Sanskrit. So without the knowledge of Sanskrit, complete, proper and full understanding of the scriptures will not be there. Uh, Swami uh, Swami has repeated many times. I will look at a few more quotations. I thought we all should know that we are trying to do something which Swami has instructed us to do. Um, so that itself is a prayer, that's its offering. Swami uh, in, uh, and our, our devotion also, I would say. So, so, you know, these are a few quotations. There are hundreds of quotations. I just picked up a few. As you can see in Prema Vahini, this was the first uh, Vahini which Swami wrote in 1958 and 59 in the Sanatana Sarvi uh, magazine. Swami says, they dismiss Sanskrit as a language, very hard to learn. And uh, in India, Swami is talking about Indians. 
they will say it's very difficult, we won't learn. And he says people from other lands are coming and learning. That is, you know, many foreigners, Westerners have gone and studied. People like Max Muller and so on have gone and studied scriptures. They've learned the language and also studied the scriptures. And then Swami says, when they are coming and learning, um, it's sad, it's a sad spectacle that Indians are not learning. It was something that Swami wrote in 1958. Um, then in the Satisai Vahini, Swami says, uh, when you have to learn, when you learn to slake the thirst of the nectar offered by the Vedas, you have to learn Sanskrit, Swami says. If you really want to learn the Vedas, you have to learn Sanskrit. Then Swami says, as in 2006, during the Ati Maharudram, so when Swami said everyone should chant and learn Rudram, um, you know, we all learn, uh, we all listen to that and then we go about uh, learning the Rudram. But uh, there are some sentences some, which we sometimes ignore. Um, so as Swami said, as a prelude to learning the Vedas, one has to acquire knowledge of Sanskrit, the language of Vedas. Even though Swami gave the instruction that everyone should learn Rudram, Swami also said there's a prerequisite, which is Sanskrit. Only then your learning of Rudram will be meaningful and proper and correct. Okay, so these are things which I thought I will just share. So anyone interested in learning the Vedas or chanting or even just prayers, even singing the bhajans, um, knowledge of Sanskrit will come in handy for everyone. Okay, I thought I would just share that. So I would start with the topic of what's language. You know, uh, modern day linguists have um, variety of, see, I, I hope you all don't mind me talk, giving this sort of an introduction because I thought it is very important because what, what we, uh, the, 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 all, the, all the people who have studied, uh, signed up to learn Sanskrit are all mature. So I think sometimes uh, the approach is a bit intellectual. So I thought I would introduce some of these things which actually Swami has spoken about uh, because it's also an opportunity for us to learn what Swami is teaching. Um, so I will first start with the topic of what is language? How did it originate in this world? Uh, Swami says the divine energy manifested in a in, in series of steps. Swami uses the one sloka, one verse, but I will just take the first line of that verse. Shabda Brahmamayi, Characharamayi, Jyotirmayi, Vangmayi. Um, this is actually Swami is talking about the Ashta Lakshmis, you know, the eight forms, manifestation of Lakshmi, wealth, I would say. Swami starts with Shabda Brahma Mayi. That means this entire universe came from uh, what's called Shabdham, sound itself. Okay. So the sound is the first thing which originated in this world. All creation took place from that Shabdham. So that Shabdham is present in everything which we see around us, okay? So that Shabda Brahmamayi, original sound was just in the space, it came, okay? It, the vibration existed. Swami also calls it vibration. Then Chara Charamayi, then it moved and it did not move. Chara means to move, Achara means not to move. Chara Charamayi, then that thing which originated as Shabdham started moving and it also stayed and it moved. So you, when we look at the uh, uh, alphabet also, we will come to this, uh, this chara chara, we have a, whatever. So it starts moving. Then jyotirmayi, that means 
light, Jyoti is light. So what happens is this things which moved became, uh, it had light emanating from it, it became Jyoti, it became light. That means only when the light comes, it's visible. With, uh, before, see the space, Akasham where the sub, Shabdam or sound is, space, can, you cannot see or hear or do anything. You can only listen. Then Characharamai means it moves, so you can feel it because it's vibration, air. Then comes Jyoti, which is light, fire. Okay, only then the eyes are able to see. Then comes Vangmai, speech, okay, which is actually an embodiment of uh, light, uh, water, the water element, because Vang comes from our mouth, Vak, Vak also it's called. So the Vag is nothing but speech. So what happens is the theory is that when we, before we speak, the will or the decision comes apparently in the Nabhi. Nabhi is called the uh, navel, okay, where uh, it actually originates. And the thought itself actually originates from there. Then it moves up, okay. And then it comes to a point of the throat where it takes a form. The words get formed in our throat. And then it comes through the mouth on our tongue as speech. So that is how it happens. This phenomena is uh, applicable to everything in this world. Whether a bird or an animal, all of them are actually speaking. We may not understand, but the thing is all of them, this phenomena of how sound originates and manifests is common to everyone. So Swami says that is the way language itself developed. So the OM is supposed to be the original sound, which has become all these words and letters which we speak, okay? So as you can see, Shabda Brahma Mai is Brahman is present as vibration and sound. Charachara is the air element which moves the sound. Jyotirmai is given form and energized by the fire element. And Vangmai is expressed by the tongue, the organ of water elements. So everything, whether it's inanimate or animate, even any inanimate thing, a cup or something, a spoon, everything has sound because if you tap them, you will hear the sound. So that means the sound was already present. It is just, it's expressed when you move it or tap it, okay? So the sound, why it is important is, the sound actually allows us to connect to the world, connect to other people, connect to God. So in the modern day world, people think language means just talking to one another, but it's expression of, of emotion itself is sound. Uh, even you're happy, you may, people may just sing, you know, in the bathrooms, all of us may be singing because when we are happy or when we are sad also, we talk to ourselves. So it's an expression of even talking to ourselves. So that is also communication with the Lord. So that is language. And um, so I thought I will just cover some of the topics Swami has talked about, what language is, Saira. So now we will come to Sanskrita as a language, Sanskrit. What is so special about Sanskrit? Um, why Swami is talking so much about Sanskrit? So I thought we will cover that again, um, based on what Swami, most of this, if anyone is interested, you can read uh, many of Swami's Vahini. Swami has talked about this. Even some of the discourses um, where Swami has spoken about it. So Sanskrit means something which is refined. 
sum means uh, refinement krita means to do so that which is refined or that which also refines is called samskrita uh, in all, there's another word which is uh, very common is called samskriti uh, which is culture uh, is translated as culture but it is that which is refined is called samskriti so if you are a cultured person we have refined ourselves to an extent and swami says sanatana samskriti is the original eternal refined state so the thing is it's also capable of refining a student by studying the sanskrit we also will be refined um, that is what swami says the power of sanskrit because it's refined so you may wonder why all the other languages are not refined so the reality is we should understand uh, if you take for example diamond the diamond in its natural state is dark and it you may people i think it's a stone but people who understand the value of it they start polishing it and cutting it and then the diamond starts shining so that, that is the process of refinement so the, if you can see diamonds may be present in many parts of the world but how it is refined polished and cut so that the best of the shine of the diamond comes is specialized in some countries by some people but the reality is the diamond was already present but it has been brought to light it has been discovered the cover has been removed and it is shining so what happened was great rishis actually were able to refine it okay and through that refinement came a product which is so refined by studying it and understanding that refined product we ourselves will be refined um so um, that is sanskrit and we will touch some of these concepts later on also so actually if you study the language in the as we you will find how scientifically it has been developed and also it has covered all various um, uh, types of sounds human being can produce and not all sounds because some of the sound is noise uh, you know i am speaking means i am only choosing certain sounds which are being communicated only then you can understand if i blabber or you know make all sorts of noises even though they are no noises it won't make any sense so that itself is a refinement okay uh, but it covers and it's very well defined and its impact is also uh, scientific in terms of our physical health the health of the person who receives and so on uh, some of them we will as we go along we will touch upon the grammar also you will find is very well developed and systematized there is some science involved but we will not go deep into grammar um, this is going to be a basic uh, course only okay um, and the thing is the alphabet is very phonetic in the sense if you read you will know how to pronounce it if you understand the linkage uh, there won't be any confusion you don't need to rely on anyone else to tell you what the correct pronunciation is because it's very very phonetic the alphabets are all distinct with distinct pronunciation and you know by studying sanskrit you are opening up a treasure of great uh, literature spiritual literature and uh, so that is the uniqueness of sanskrit because there is no other language as the extent of philosophy and spirituality in terms of uh, uh, research and the uh, rishis have done and produce uh, books and writings which uh, contain the best the highest of truths okay 
Um, so that's the uniqueness of Sanskrit. Even the names of gods, there's no language as the names of gods uh, where, which Sanskrit has. Um, even if you take Indian languages, even if they're using names of gods, actually they're all borrowed from Sanskrit uh, because Sanskrit as uh, a language has produced so much. So even if you're saying bhajan, Swami says nama sankirtanam, nama means names of gods. So without knowledge of Sanskrit, you can't even sing bhajans because any other language, you take English, how many names of gods are there? You can say God and you know maybe merciful or something like that, which is actually a translation. I'm not saying the other languages don't have the names of gods, but the collection, the vastness of the names of gods present in Sanskrit is not equal in any other language of this side. So I will just touch upon the concept of Vedic, Vedic versus classical Sanskrit because I just want you to be clear. The Vedic language is identical to Sanskrit, the classical Sanskrit, which we are going to explore. But the Vedic Sanskrit has something called accents, pitch. For example, Sahana Vavatu. So there are three uh, accents or three, four uh, different accents which are used in uh, chanting the Vedic mantras because the accent also has meanings. Because if you change the accent, the meaning itself could change. And there are examples of them, but I will not go into that today. But um, so there's another, I mean, I think there are other languages in the world like the Chinese and so on. They are very particular about the accent. The same word told in three different ways can mean three different things, okay? Even other languages have, have, we have accent, but we have not, uh, systematically studied it or use it. For example, why, you know, why, you know, we, we also use in our speech, but we are not very conscious uh, that we are using accent, but it is not systematized. But in Sanskrit, it is systematized, okay? Uh, so a Vedic, especially Vedic Sanskrit. Uh, Vedic tradition was always about teaching things orally. You know, Shruti, it is called. It is the, the teacher teaches and the student repeats and that's how they learn. Because there are nuances of sound production which cannot be written down and understood. So Vedic, Vedic language has to be learned by from another person through an oral tradition. Some, they should speak and you should listen and then you should reproduce. That is the best way to learn Vedic uh, language. People have attempted to write it down but it's still not the same, okay? Um, Written form of Vedic literature came later on before, I think when the classical Sanskrit became popular in the evolution of language, uh, written form appeared. Uh, so it has been written down also. Uh, in classical Sanskrit, there is no pitch, uh, there, there was no distinction of pitch. Um, and what we are going to cover is only classical Sanskrit. I'm not going to get into Vedic Sanskrit. I'm not qualified. Um, uh, I, my knowledge is almost uh, elementary, so I will not go there. Unless you have some questions, I can point you to places you can go and learn. But if you learn the classical Sanskrit, learning the Vedic Sanskrit becomes easier uh, because you will know the sound production, the letters, and then it becomes very, very easy for you to easily grasp the Vedic Sanskrit because the only thing which you have to add is the pitch or the accent, okay? So now um, I will just touch some of the topics which Swami has talked about sound, how it evolved. So as I've already mentioned, sound is before the creation itself, okay? 
sounds are heard and reproduced by all living beings which also i have mentioned learning a language starts with listening uh, even as a child the child basically listens to the adults and reproduces it and that's how it learns uh, every language in this world including animals animals also make noise they must have heard their own parents produce certain sounds and then they reproduce even though the tendency the ability to produce sound was natural they refine it by listening to outsiders okay so what swami says is the rishis refine tuned themselves to such an extent they were able to listen to the lord the god who is present everywhere around them in this world and by tuning themselves apparently they heard eight distinct sounds okay they are a ka cha ka ta pa ya and sa okay a ka cha ta ta pa ya sa some says these are the eight sounds which they heard and what uh, swami this is a discourse from 3rd october 1899 if 18 1989 if anyone is interested um swami is spoke speaking about it and alphabet of all languages actually developed like this only that you will say in our language also it's the same yes it is uh, but the thing is the limit to which we have taken them and refined them is different that's all so any language in this world you go they have these sounds embedded in them okay. and i think on this point i also wanted to mention you know many swami has also said uh, sanskrit is the mother of all languages so sometimes that becomes a very political discussion also because people say is this language before the other and so on you know i think there are many tamils tamils will say tamil is older than sanskrit there's a lot of political uh, debates going on in this world uh, we will not go there but the reality when swami says sanskrit is the refined language is the mother also we should understand the mother does not necessarily give birth for example if we see our mother tongue our mother nation you know the country is our mother we say is the country basically give birth to us as an individual not necessarily but the thing is it it has a state of a motherhood why because it sustains us it provides everything the world around earth around us produces food which we eat and we live because that's what our mother also did our mother was someone who nourished us in our in her womb gave us all the nourishment we and we grew when we are born then they feed us cook and feed so the mother mother means that which feeds everyone around them and nourishes that is mother so sanskrit as a language had taken on the role of a mother because it is so well refined that it was able to help others also benefit from it um so that is why it has a status of mother because it's so advanced so refined that we all can learn from it and improve ourselves and grow and that is why sanskrit is called the mother of all languages swami also calls it the atma bhasha which is the language of the atman i think on this point i also wanted to cover another uh, um, quotation of swami which swami said there's only one language the language of heart okay swami said there's only one religion the religion of love so these are quotations which we all listen and sometimes we may not understand them completely properly see for example if i don't know english and you all don't know english we cannot have this session okay so then we can ask 
So that means there's this language doesn't exist. This language definitely exists. English as a language exists. But when Swami says there's only one language, I mean the thing which underlies all languages is the language of heart. Swami says, whatever I speak, if my heart is not expressed, that, that is not language. If the heart, the feelings of the heart are not expressed. When we, Swami says feelings of the heart, again, not any feeling. Swami says kudaya means compassion, love. Love should be expressed in our language. Only then it is fit to be called language. Okay, it is not the uh, language, the external manifestation. It can be English, Hindi, Tamil, Gujarati, or uh, French. That is all external manifestation, but the ingredient which gives it life is what comes from the heart. Okay, that's what it means. Again, the same thing with the religion also. Swami, if Swami says there's one religion, you can't say, I don't want all religions. No. Because the external manifestation of religion is either Christianity, Hinduism, Islam, and so on. They are needed. But the thing is, if they are there without love, then that religion, you are not practiced properly. It just doesn't have the life, okay? So the same thing uh, is about Sanskrit also. Sanskrit, Swami calls it Atma Bhasha because that it brings out that what is within to its fullest extent. The divinity is manifested in its fullest extent in Sanskrit, Samaskritam. Okay, that is the reason it's called the mother of all languages. And it's capable of giving and feeding other languages. Okay, even all the Indian, because you should understand the languages which are not fully refined, they are called Prakrita. Prakrita means natural languages. All of all Indian languages are called Prakrita Pacha because that means. They have not yet reached the stage of refinement which Sanskrit has reached. So that's what, that's the way the rishis uh, defined. So we are just discussing that. Okay. Um, the reality is the word Sanskrit itself came later on. The rishis never called it Sanskrit. It's only a few centuries ago, the word, even the name Sanskrit was given. Uh, before it was called Bhasha, means speech. Bhasha means that which shines. Um, so I will, uh, that's too much uh, philosophy, I guess. I will stop here. We have already covered 40 minutes. And you may think we have come to study Sanskrit and nothing is being taught about Sanskrit. So we are going to go into, see, I have written, if you can see here, the, the Devanagari script. I have written them, but I have also given you the transliteration. For some time, I'm going to use transliteration, maybe to a great extent. But at some point, I think we need to start learning Devanagari. I will see why it is important uh, later on, okay? So let's get into some, at least we should start something today in terms of the language itself. So we are going to go into alphabet of the language. So Devanagari is um, the Sanskrit, you know, which is used also in Hindi and many North Indian languages have a derivation of that Devanagari uh, system of writing. So that's what we are going to use. There were other forms of writing Sanskrit which have not uh, survived, or they're still around. There's something called Grantham and so on, but it's not as popular. It's only popular among some communities in the South India, uh, but Devanagari is more universally used. Okay. A letter is called Akshara, okay? We'll start with akshara. Akshara means that which cannot be destroyed. Akshara. Akshara means something which can be destroyed, destruction. Akshara means that cannot be destroyed. Sound is something which cannot be destroyed. 
once i speak swami say anyone who speech that speech will remain in this space forever it's never destroyed uh, so that is the power of sound it's never destroyed and a vowel is called swara swara means swa means self ra means shine or so anything which without any help of anything else can shine that's called swara so vowel is swara a consonant is called vyanjana okay some of this spell, uh, pronunciation will come late to later on but for now just listen okay consonant is called vyanjana okay so swara there are vowels are called swaras and the consonants are called vyanjanas and all of them together are called akshara okay um so it's called akshara varna mala akshara means letter varna means you can say various colors okay so there are different manifestation of that letter mala means a collection or we can also say it's a garland okay so we are going to go to learn the garland of letters which the rishi has given us who discovered sanskrit or sanskrit so we are going to start with actually some of this may be very basic uh, but i would still like to go through because we may say oh, we know the letter what is the point in learning this okay so we should understand when we pronounce there are four things which are important and we should pay attention to okay a letter requires four aspects any letter which we pronounce so the first one is called prayatnam prayatnam means effort okay the second one is thanam that means a position where the sound is produced balam is the strength which we exert in saying the letter and kalam is the time so there are four aspects and we will cover them as we go along uh, so prayatna means the effort to make to change the shape of the mouth okay and then you produce a sound from a particular point in the mouth then there's an amount of strength which you give that is the breath whether you push the breath hard or you push the breath soft slow all that happens the time is the duration for which you pronounce especially it applies to vowels okay is it short or long and so on okay so we are going to discuss what are called the short vowels okay so as you can see this is a okay and e there are two uh, vowels which are not common in many languages which is r and l okay and u okay these are short vowels they are simple the basic vowels in sans sanskrit okay and i have put this in certain positions and you may wonder why it is because you can see the structure in which it has been developed is a e u r a e r l and u okay so the progression of sound at different the actually the resonance of the vowel takes place in different parts of the mouth so as you can see they have covered the entire distance of the vocal cavity mouth cavity but the sound is resonated at different points and we will see how they are resonated because this is very very important because uh, all uh, sanskrit sounds are actually based on this position so i thought i will spend some time 
so you all because some of all you will say i we can say ah we can say e we can say u without our knowledge we are actually pronouncing it but it it we become aware of how the sound is produced then the way we pronounce the words will become completely you know the what comes out of that will be phenomenal okay so i am just going to talk a little more about the production of sound of these vowels see the vowels are called aspruta okay as you can see the word aspruta okay so aspruta means touch aspruta means without touch okay so the thing is all vowels are produced without any mouth parts coming into contact with each other okay no mouth part should become they should be touched so all vowels are called aspruta whereas consonant are, are called sprista that means they have contact there are mouth parts coming into contact then you may ask why is it okay we will discuss it so even when we are producing vowels there are changes which are happening in the mouth which we may be not aware of but i thought we will just go over that okay for let's take a the a sound is produced somewhere at the throat but if you closely observe the tongue the the end part of the tongue somewhere close to the throat actually it will be raised slightly to help the resonance of the sound a okay a a so if you practice you will see that tongue is slightly raised but it does not touch the palate the top part of the mouth that is a then we come to what's called e in e what happens is the tongue actually sort of raised and is made parallel to the mouth cavity but it does not touch e you can uh, analyze for yourself okay then this is a sound called r okay so what happens is the tongue is actually bent pointed upwards okay and but it does not touch so if you want to understand r if you say with the word r r actually the tongue is sort of touching the palate but r is the pointing there but it is just vibrating at that point in time so r okay so you hold the tongue up and you push the air through and produce that vibrating sound which is called r okay it's not ru it's not ri which are sometimes mistakes which people make um it is r so it's something like you know something like that. car <clears throat> you start a car the car doesn't say ru it doesn't say ri it says r so that's that's what we are producing r okay then the next one is the tongue is near the teeth where you say la la but la is said with the tongue touching the teeth oh, or just above the teeth la but here the tongue should not touch and actually the tongue should vibrate so sometimes people have pronounced it as r some r is also give, uh, some many people pronounce but ideally that r should not be there it should be r okay l okay and it's it's not la it's 
so you keep it near the place where you say la but the tongue should not touch the, the air should just flow through okay asprishta without contact then come we come to what's called u the tongue is just flat but the mouth the lips form an o shape or u shape you if you want to say and what comes out is u okay so as you can see sound how it travels from back to front is shown here okay i will um, now i will go to so then we have covered what's called short vowels a e u r l okay such so short vowels that means you can say one matra or one beat okay of time then what are called long vowels the long vowels means what changes is what's called kalam okay this is what changes this so that i will uh, so what changes is kala okay you just pay attention to the kala the sound production everything is the same the prayatnam sthanam balam is all same but the kalam differs so it becomes longer a e r l and u u okay so it's long all of them are longer so double the amount of time of the short vowels a e okay see you should not need not worry too much about these two because they don't get used as much especially the you will never even come across so but it is just for the purpose of completeness comprehensiveness i have included them but it's never used okay you will never come across in your life in as far as r is concerned the long one you may come across that once or twice but that also is not as often that you will come across but the shorter one you know the r you will come across because krishna so this is something which is common so you should pay attention to it okay so so now what we we come to what is called diphthongs okay the diphthongs are you we have looked at a and e which all of you have seen but then there is there are two letters which are called a and i okay the a and i are actually a combination of a and e okay so it the, the sound is produced somewhere in between okay a okay a is a e but when you say the a slightly with uh, with a uh, slow it's little bit slow it's come i e so you can see a and e a e so that forms what's called i i and a okay so as you can see they are called diphthongs that means the two letters who have come together to form a certain sound two basic sounds a is a basic sound e is a basic sound a and e together have come to produce what's called a and i okay similarly 
there are two other words, other letters, which are also formed by combi combining A and U. Somewhere in, in the middle of A and U forms O. Some of my uh, slides are not very good. So, how this word is how actually. Uh, and I apologize for it not being very accurately said, but we'll, I will touch that later. So, what I just want to cover is who are and who are, who are, who are, who are, who are. So, that is the how here. And O is also somewhere in between. I think all of you know OM. This is actually A, O, M. Okay. So, that O is somewhere in the middle it's produced, okay? So they are called diphthongs because they are a combination of two distinct sounds, vowels, okay? So then there are two other vowels which are also present in Sanskrit, okay? One is called the visarga, you know, two dots. You know, it's like the colon, okay? You may have seen it in Sanskrit literature. So, which is pronounced generally as okay, which is air, okay. And you know, we will talk about how visarga is used in the language later on. But uh, I think most Indian languages have that, which is actually a blowing of air at the throat, from the throat, okay. And then there is something called anuswara. So this is called Visarga and this is called Aniswara. I think that names I have, I will give you later in the next uh, slide, but uh, for now this is good enough. So Aniswara means a nasal sound. You produce anything through the nas, no, nose. So Om, mm, so, mm, mm, that nasal sound is also called, because there's actually no touching. Mm, means you are not touching anything, but you're producing a vibration in the na nasal cavity. So that's called aniswara. That is also, so everything else was coming through the mouth, but nose, you can't change the shape. So it's only one sound, but you can change a little, little bit through the mouth, but we'll come to that later. But aniswara is another vowel. Okay, so now we will look at all the vowels together. Um, I hope uh, you can see it clearly. I don't know how uh, clearly you can see. Um, so I have covered here, no, you know, short. So this swara means plural of swara is swara, vowels, okay. And these are the positions of where the sound is produced. Okay, guttural is the throat, ah. Palatal is, you know, at the top with the tongue touching the, sort of coming parallel to the palate of the mouth. A little e. Labial is u. What is produced here? U. Cerebral is the tongue going pointing upwards. R. Dental means the tongue touching the uh, teeth. L. Okay. So that is short, and there is long. Okay. At each point, this becomes double the amount of time. A a e e u. U, r, r, l, e, okay. And these are the you know diphthongs which I covered, which is a means a combination of 
R and E. So you can see R here, E here. The combination of that is A. They come to produce A. I is R and E, A. R and A combined. And we'll come to that later, how that evolves. It's called I, okay. O and O. So the thing is, as you can see, these all these four letters, A, I, O, O, are considered long vowels. In many of the other Indian languages, there are short forms of A also. You know, it's actually half A, you can say, A, A, you know, we will say. But in Sanskrit, there's no short A, okay? Everything is long. When you say A, it's only long. Why it is long? Because there are two letters, two vowels who have come together, okay? So half A or the short A is not present in Sanskrit. The same thing holds good for O, okay? O is only long. If there's no short form of O in Sanskrit. So in Tamil or in other languages, we'll say O, o A, A. In Sanskrit, it's only A or O, okay? You may say, why then it's missing it? Um, I think the, the rishis who did this research and come, come together, they have understood what it is. Okay. And, mm, and this is the Anuswara, as I put it here, Visarga. Okay. These form the basic vowels of Sanskrit literature. Okay. So you can say there are five plus five, 10, 14 plus two, 16. Okay. So there are 16 vowels which are present in Sanskrit, okay? So people may ask you why there are short form, long form. So we should understand that um, in the system of energy in the body, each, you know, there are chakras, which are called muladhara, swadhisthana, there are six chakras in the body. Uh, in the yogic uh, philosophy, you will study that. So there is something, the throat, the throat chakra, has to supposed to have 16 petals, okay? And each of these sound actually energizes one of them, okay? So the thing is, by saying these sounds, producing these sounds properly, actually there's a physical impact in our own body because certain parts of the body can be repaired by just saying certain sounds because the power of that vibration is so good, so so much that it will recreate, it will heal even our body by chanting certain mantras. So we should understand the mantras themselves have certain sequence of vibration which can have an impact on the body. So all these sounds, if they are produced, practiced regularly, our throat, chakra, which is connected to various parts of the body, is actually cleansed. Because this chakra is called Vishuddha. Okay, that means it's, it's purification. All purification has to happen in the throat. So these sounds are capable of producing a purification of our uh, certain parts of our body. Okay, and the vowels are so important because they are the ones who give life to speech itself. So that is why the 16 are very, very important. And we will touch upon some of them at some point along the way. Um, and I have one last slide. 
and I would cover that also, which is OM. Um, because we all know, though there are so many vowels, for the OM, it is that itself by, it's, uh, it's a letter, okay? It's an aksharam, okay? But it's a combination of three sounds put together. A, U, and M. Okay, so the sound actually, when you say OM, the sound has to travel, the vibration has to travel all the way here, and then it should go up. Oh, okay. So it should not be A-U-M. That is why you don't say A-U-M. No, you say OM. That means the sound production starts here and it slowly it should travel. And we should let the resonance move all the way. And when it completes the full length, then it moves up. So that is why Swami is particular how we chant Om 21 times because each time we chant actually one aspect of our own existence gets cleansed or cleared. I think that's something which we can discuss later. Why 21 times? What do they do to us? Um, there's a lot of science in it. Swami has spoken about it here and there. Um, but I think it's, I thought I would just touch on them. So Om by itself is one sound. And the Om is supposed to be one of the akshara, which is in our uh, Agnya Chakra. This is called Agnya Chakra, the ability to see anything, to understand anything. The third eye is actually symbolized by Om. Okay, there are three petals in our Agnya Chakra. And the third one is actually Om which is the most important part in our own body. That's why we, whatever we do, we start with OM, because it's by chanting the OM properly, this Agnya Chakra, that the third eye is supposed to open. Okay, that is why we chant three times OM. Uh, people may not understand the science. Uh, okay, but the Rishis have done a lot of research. And so by regular chanting of OM, our ability to understand especially spiritual topics will be enhanced immensely. So I would suggest that everyone takes up chanting of 21 ohms every day uh, because there's so much science in it. Um, it, will, it will improve your ability to see and understand and grasp spiritual topics uh, to an extent which cannot be explained. Um, with those words, I am now going to open it up for um, you all to unmute and speak. Thanks for the patient listening of an hour. I hope I did not bore. I hope I, I didn't rush through too much. Um, I would suggest, you know, just for the sake of order, if you can put your hands up, I will be able to speak okay i will be able to call upon you i don't know sister anita i think yeah, something somebody is sharing something sorry about it i don't know what okay just ignore it okay sister vinodini swakuman you can okay as I, I, I just wanted to know uh, the lesson we had uh, will, will it be on google classroom the so so the reason why you need to be in google classroom is each of the deck and presentation which I'm presenting here, I will be posting there. 
Okay. Okay. So then, if anyone wants to go through the material at your own leisure, uh, you can. You will have it because I did not want to send emails every time. Yeah, yeah. So that is the reason I have asked all of you to sign up for Google Classroom. Uh, I would. Sorry, I, some. Okay. Sorry about that. Okay. So the thing is, what I would say is, if you join um, the enroll yourself in the Google Classroom. For me, it will become easy for me to distribute the material because I, there are many handouts, if you want to say. I will like to distribute and I would rather do it in the Google Classroom so anyone can download and read it. Um, that way distribution becomes very easy. I'm also hoping to uh, post the uh, link to the recording. This uh, recording is going to be uploaded to the YouTube and the link for that also will be provided there. So if anyone wants to, again, go through and listen, you have an opportunity because there are many who are not going to, who may not be able to attend the class because of other reasons, um, but this will allow the, anyone to listen. So, so I, there will be material which I will post as well as links to the uh, YouTube videos there. Um, so it will be easy for me to distribute rather than send emails to everyone each and every time. Um, I hope you understand. Yeah, I, I already uh, registered at uh, the Google Classroom. Yes. Thank you. Um, so there are a few questions. Anyone else? Okay, Sister Tarani, you can go ahead. Sairam, um, uh, brother, I have a question. Uh, you know the uh, sub, I may, I may be saying, not telling uh, correctly, but correct me if I'm wrong. Sapta Pramanji Charashai Mai, Toji Mai, and Vanmai. Yes. Uh, those are, is, is that um, related to five elements? So the five elements are coming, sister. They are yeah. related to the four elements, actually, the Shabda Brahmanji. Yeah, that's what my question, because yes. it's only yeah, four, four coming. Yes. yes. So. So one, okay, so that's that's one thing. And then other thing is Sapta uh, Brahma Mai is a pra, like so own the vibration and sound. Yes. It, I, I thought, I don't know, I, I, not I don't know, but it, the sound, uh, the, uh, the space is created with own sound, right? Yes. Yeah, so I just want to clarify. Yeah, so the creation took place with Shabda Brahma, but yeah. at that stage, it's not even visible, it's not even heard. Okay. okay. All right. Uh, okay. So that's the original sound, you know, sound which is not even, uh, you can't even hear. Okay. No, so okay. that is the point. Okay. Thank you. Sairam. Sairam. Yes, Sister Vani. Sairam, brother. So, like, you know, in this slide that you're showing, the OM, that there are three letters, but then on the top of the slide, the OM, how it's written, is um, not, is it? The combination of all the three letters is written like that. Like it's okay, thank you. It's written it's, separately, but it's all together. Like how? So, so some people think it is a combination of letter, but actually it is one letter by itself. Okay, uh, it's, it's it's that is the only way Om is written. It is a completely distinct letter. Okay, um, it is by it's, it's it has its own form. Okay, each of the part of the home also has some significance. We, maybe one day we will, because I did not want to go, it becomes a more philosophical discussion rather than a language discussion. I did not want to go into it. Um, there's, if you look at the top, which is called, which is uh, 
uh, um, a crescent moon and a dot. Okay, that is called uh, uh, Ardha Chantra, Ardha Chantra, and uh, a dot Bindu. It's also called Chandra Bindu. I don't know whether any of you know Omkaram Bindu Samyutta. So that Bindu is this. Bindu is actually, you know, that itself is a complete philosophy. Bindu is the one original. God itself is actually a dot. Amrita Bindu, it's also called. That Bindu which never dies. This Omkaram sound has that which never dies. Okay. So it, this it's a, it's a complete symbolism. So it's not, uh, Om is by itself is one letter. It's not a combination of letters. But the sounds are combined and one form is there. Okay, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, thank uh, you. Thank you. Okay, Saira. Saira. Uh, there are some questions on the chat. I will just read, I hope. Uh, uh, somebody wants me to chant Om, uh, we will do that. Vyanchana um, means English. We have not touched Vyanchana yet, Saishan. Swara is vowel. Uh, swara is vowel, Vyanjana is uh, consonants, both together are called Akshara. Both, all of them combined, it's called Akshara. Akshara is a letter. I hope uh, that answers your question. Somebody says YouTube. Um, okay, I think that's all so far. So I think- Swara is just vowel or is it uh, pitch also, it does, does it mean pitch also, Swara? So in, in, in the, see, in Sanskrit words have multiple meanings. Okay, one word can have hundreds of meanings, depending on the context. Um, so Swara, the meaning of Swara is the same, but uh, where it's applied all can be variety of places. So the thing is, uh, in Sanskrit, there is Swara. Okay, people will say it's actually pitch. Uh, you know, people will say Shruti. Um, swara means even the sound. Swara is in, in music also. Sarigama, they are called different swaras. Notes. So it's also used in, in that uh, meaning also. But in this case, in terms of language, as it relates to language, swara means vowels. I hope that answer is. See, even okay. in man mantra sadhana, people, they will say swara. Uh, you know, the, the sadhana, swara sadhana also people say. Uh, that is uh, a type of sadhana uh, which is actually uh, focusing and meditating on sound. Uh, but in this, in this case, let us just stick to our uh, Sanskrit as a language and it's vowels. I hope uh, that answers your question. Yeah, thank you. Short and long vowels as well, yes. All vowels, sure. What is the dotted O? Okay, very good. Kalyan is asking what is dotted O. The dotted O can be replaced with anything, okay? Because the Aniswara by itself doesn't come, you know, generally. Um, and you, if you ask me why, because usually um, im, um. So that is actually fill in the blank, okay, Kalyani? Uh, but it does not have any meaning. Generally, the Anuswara is preceded by another vowel. Okay, that's why that uh, uh, 
I have put that like that, where that's the way it's presented when I, you know, I'm using software. And, but what exactly matters is the dot above, which is the Anuswara, okay? Um, good question, I'm sorry. Sometimes it can be confusing with the tools which we use. Unfortunately, I, I, I'm doing a presentation, so I use the tools which are available for me. Uh, and so generally, the Anuswara is also placed on top of a letter. Okay, always above the letter Anuswara is placed. So that is another reason uh, this is pointed. So it's, it's position is it's like a superscript, okay, above the letter. Thank you, Uncle. So is it just for vowels that you can add the Anuswara and the Visarka? Um, yes, it is, okay. But in Vedic uh, places, there are some, uh, uh, they can also be placed or what is called Anunasika, consonants. We will touch that when we come to consonants. But I would say for the time being, you say it is any, it generally follows a vowel. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Um, I think those are the only questions I've had so far. I think um, someone wanted Om uh, to be, you know, uh, talked about. So I let's talk about Om, um, one second. Okay. So Om, Swami always says Om should be chanted with sound starting at the back of the mouth. Then you should feel the vibration travel along your palate, along this path. And when it comes to ooh, then you close the mouth and then the vibration should travel up, up. Okay. Uh, so it should start with ah. So basically the vibration continues and the mouth is kept open. When you reach ooh, you close the mouth and it should travel up. So Ultimately, we should feel the vibration in our mouth. It should this the should start. Oh. So we should be able to feel the vibration going all the way. You close the lips, and you should feel the vibration moving up. So practice it. Is ultimately how much ever I say, you will have to experience it yourself. Okay, just sit and say it slowly. You can see how the mouth slowly closes. The mouth cavity changes and it closes and the sound is pushed up. Okay, actually this is ultimately, there's one empty Upanishads on Om. Okay, if you want to discuss Om. Uh, so if we, if we master Om, Swami says, you don't need to study anything. You don't need to do any other sadhana. Okay. Uh, so you can see the word, the letters used. Then another thing Swami says is, the sound should increase in volume and decrease in volume. By the time it comes here, it should have increased to the maximum. Then it should reduce. So Swami always gives us it. It should be like a, a plane. You hear a plane coming from a distance. And when it comes closer, it becomes louder, louder, louder. 
and then it goes past. Okay, so it's actually creation, maintenance, and destruction. All three are shown here. Something which originates, it lives, then it slowly grows uh, older, and then it dies away. That is the way our own life is actually home. We are children, we start out, then we become adults, we are very active, then the energy levels go down, and then we merge. So, so shristi, stiti, layam, as Swami says, creation, generation, operation, and dissolution. All these are, this is life. Life itself is, we should know, we are all born, we live, and then we die. Everything in this world is symbolized by Om. After that, there is silence. So another thing which people have to make understand is, Om not only consists of these three, it also consists of silence. So between one ohm and the next second ohm, there should be another, another set of amount of time which should be silent. So if you know, I, maybe I will, it's another story which Swami has spoken about. See, there is a Brahma. I don't know whether you know the story. I think we have no questions, so I will tell the story. I think in, in um, especially South Indian people who pray to Subramanya or Murugan, uh, you know, or Skanda, Know the story. So apparently, one day Subramanya was playing. He's a small kid, you know. He was playing in Kailash, and Lord Brahma happened to come. So the Subramanya, you know, sometimes youngsters, you know, they think they know a lot. You know, they ask questions from adults. So it's something like that. So when Brahma came, he asked him, uh, "What do you do? Who are you?" So he said, "I'm Brahma." Uh, he said, "What do you do?" He said, "I am responsible. I'm the." person who responsible for creation. It is so, oh, you are doing creation. So do you know the meaning of Om? He asked him. And Brahma didn't know the meaning of Om. He was just, uh, because he is only responsible for A. So he doesn't know who and whom. So he asked him, tell me the meaning of Om. Uh, he said, I don't know. Then he, you know, he said, okay, then what's the point in you having four heads the story was he just plucked one of his head and threw it away. So he was quite uh, annoyed. You know, this small kid is, you know, not giving me respect as an adult. And, you know, I am responsible for such a, you know, you know uh, such a role in this world. And this kid, just because his father is a big shot, he's trying to act smart. So <laughs> he was very, very upset. And, you know, when Lord Shiva came, he complained to him apparently. You know, this fellow did this to me. Then, uh, then uh, Lord Shiva asked, why did you do this? He said, he didn't know the meaning, so I did it. So then Lord Shiva asked him, do you know the meaning? And he says, of course, I know the meaning. So then he says, okay, tell me. Then he says, I just cannot tell you. Uh, if you are not like a student, only a student can learn from someone who knows. So you need to take, the position of a disciple, only then I can teach you. So Shiva said, okay, I will sit down as a student and you explain. So the story goes that he taught the meaning of Om to Lord Shiva. So that's why it's called Guru Para. Uh, Subramanya is called Guru Para. Para means Shiva, Guru, the Lord uh, is the teacher of Shiva himself is Subramanya. Uh, Tamils like to say this because, you know, the person who we are praying to is many Tamils pray to Murugan or Subramanian, they think, 
say we are superior to you know, people who even pray to Shiva. Anyway, jokes aside, what exactly means is uh, Brahma is supposed to have had four heads. Okay. A is one head, U is another head, M is another head, the fourth head is not even visible. So if Subramanya plucked it and threw means he just told him there is an aspect which is not even manifest, which is not even present. So meditate on that which is not even coming out. Okay. So it's called A, Akara, Ukara, Makara. And the last one is Anahata. Anahata means that which is not struck. That sound is not even heard. So there's a sound which always remains in this world unheard. For example, you know, I have uh, my phone here. The phone is, you know, of course, when somebody calls, it will ring. <laughs> but, you know, but the sound was always there. When the signal comes, the sound comes out. Otherwise, the sound was always in there. Any object you drop, the sound, you put it down, you hear the sound. So that means the sound was there in, in its unmanifest state. Okay. So even in Aum, we should understand there's an unmanifest sound and we should meditate on that. So akara, ukara, makara, and then silence. You need to contemplate and meditate on that silence. So Om actually there is four four phases to the Om. So we'll just chant once, a few times maybe Om. Uh, we, we start here, we go around uh, um, along the palate, and then we go up. The sound increases in volume, and it comes down. Okay, it has to it starts slow. It has to go up and then it has to end. And then we wait in that mode of silence for the same amount of time. So if you divide OM into four, one part OA, one part U, one part M, the last part is silence. Okay, so we will just practice that because these are considered waking state, dream state, deep sleep state, and also Turiyavastha Swami, the fourth state of awareness. Okay. The silence actually is present in all, all stages, but we just contemplate on it at the last part. Okay, so we'll start with Om. We'll chant about three times. Uh, I hope that's good enough uh, today, and then we will close if it's all. One more question. Yes, brother. Uh, yes, yeah. brother, you have a question. Yes. Yeah, uh, uh, Sai brother. Are we going to learn uh, how these letters are written from where to start and where to... Yeah, so, so, brother, you are right. Today is just an introduction of the vowels. Okay. I'm going to go through, you know, my next few sessions. I will show how each letter is written in Devanagari. And we will read each of the letters. And I will also pro provide some materials which you can print and practice at home. I have the material. So that is one reason I wanted everyone to be on Google Classroom. It's easy for me to, so you will, you will have an opportunity to learn and practice. Thank you, Sayanam, thank you. But today I have not started it, so I am not going to produce the, provide you the materials today, but in the subsequent classes, we will do that. Yes, okay. thank you, Sayanam. Thank, thank you, brother. Uh, actually, I put a message, it went to some others. Oh, I see. I didn't see that. Oh, yeah, I went to Bani. So, thank you. Actually, it is very, very, you know, what do you say? What I say? Astonishing. 
um, the way you introduced and all the vowels. Um, and you are so magnanimous and you are uh, so generous. Um, you, you come forward, you came forward to teach us. Uh, and I think um, we cannot uh, pay you. Thank you enough, I think. Thank you, sir. So, so, so brother, you know, in, so there's something called Rina. Rina means something called debt. There's something called Rishi Rina. Rishi means uh, we owe a debt to the Rishis. So, see, I learned all this free of cost. There were three teachers who spent a lot of time teaching me. Okay. Uh, they, they went out of the way to spend, especially my the teacher who is who taught me in my plus two, that is uni, pre-university and university. Uh, uh, he, he was uh, he was so magnanimous. Actually, he came to me and asked, Arun, you know, I want you to join MA, Sanskrit. Uh, you know, I, he's ready to teach, but uh, no course even. He said, why don't you ask Swami? We will start a Sanskrit department in the college. You know, it was that, he was, I used to spend a lot of time with him. And uh, so I feel I have to pay back that debt of a person who has already learned and shared that with me. It gives me an opportunity, whether you all listen or not, me preparing the material and spending time is my way of paying back to my own teacher who out of immense love uh, shared what he know. And of course, in the YouTube also, I've learned from so many people. Uh, so I'm just sharing what I have learned. It is not, you know, nothing is mine here. It is just, of course, I put in some effort, uh, which is actually an offering at their feet, at all the gurus who taught me. It is my offering to their feet. And it's an offering to Swami. You know, it is, if you all benefit, it is your, it is blessings you receive from the Lord. Uh, this is a way knowledge has been kept alive in this world. Uh, by us, by just studying itself, we are keeping it alive. Because in some way or small way, we will share it with others. Uh, so it is an opportunity for me to uh, share. And after so many years, I would say 50 years of uh, learning, Swami has given me an opportunity to share. That's the way I look at it. Because sometimes even to share, one needs to have opportunity. And you all are actually doing me a great service uh, because without you, there's no class. <laughs> so you are equally contributing to this because your love for the Swami, love for the language, love for learning has made it possible for me. So I think I am also grateful to all of you sitting and patient and listening to me. <laughs> However, defective or limited, uh, what I am presenting, yeah, Thank you, brother. In the another question, not question actually, the diphthongs, the I and A diphthongs also coming under vowels. No, all sixteen. Yes. Two, uh, you, it's a short vowel, long vowel, and diphthongs. All three make up sixteen vowels. You say correct? Yes, brother. You know, yes, all of them make C five short vowels. Yeah. Five long vowels of those basic vowels. Yeah. So that makes it ten. And ten and ten and four. then there are four diphthongs. Yeah. And oh. then there are two special vowels which are mm and oh. so all these put together forms oh, yeah. sixteen. Sorry, okay. So the Anuswara and Visarga is no is neither diphthongs nor uh, vowels. It's something yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay, they are just sound production. Yeah. Um, 
they can be either long or short but generally they are short okay okay, uh, okay but they are, they are a special category by themselves yeah yeah thank you very much um, i will post this and you all can take time and go through and if there are questions you can email me. i don't you can call me or email me but you know i would rather you know sometime when you have questions if i answer here others who may have had the question also will benefit so i would like to answer questions here uh, if you have questions you email to me and if uh, uh, if i feel they are worth uh, spending time here i will do it here next week and we will that's the way we will proceed i hope the format is okay for you all one hour of talk and half an hour of q and a um then maybe if there are so many questions maybe i will dedicate one one and a half hours just for question and answers we will see how it progresses i am hoping to have about 39 sessions i hope to cover whatever i can within that time because i don't want an indefinite uh, stream you know course uh, timeline um but we will see how it evolves uh, i hope you all benefit in some way or other okay saidam um i think there are some more comments i will just go through i will just uh, uh can you please give simple words so, so i am going to you know the words i will be introducing okay uh, today is just an introduction to the vowels do not worry you know we are going to spend a lot of time in sound, you know practicing the sounds i am going to come up with words which which will combine these uh, vowels uh, so we will we will be doing that um so that that's what i would say so yes we uh, there's a, i have planned out because uh, fortunately i there were not only two three years ago another sanskrit lesson also is has been going some of this material i had prepared with a few people who individually approached me so actually i am you know some of it i am just recycling the material so i have i have i have planned out a few a, a sort of lesson plan for the next few uh, weekends and you will be going through writing simple words pronunciation it may be i don't know some of you may already know and may find it a bit too slow but i hope you all will bear with me um i hope it is not too basic and too slow for some of you Uh, but i thought i would do it in such a pace which everyone can benefit even little bit okay saira um it's 10:30 so i am just going to chant om three times slowly and um, then um, we will close with samasta loka and shanti thank you very much for joining uh, swami has started with a good note i hear today a very auspicious day and hopefully the journey continues saira yes saira You are muted. We can't hear you.
समस्तलोका सुखिनो भवन्तु समस्तलोका सुखिनो भवन्तु समस्तलोका सुखिनो भवन्तु ओ शांति शांति Sairam everyone. Sairam. Sairam. Thank you, 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 Sairam.